for months, if not years, these rumours, scurrilous rumours, it has to be said, about the Prime Minister's partner, Clark Gayford, have been circulating. But the media have mostly ignored them. But what happened last week? Yeah, well, they caught up with one media company in particular. So these are, uh, this is uh, the Prime Minister's partner, Clark Gayford, received a payment from NZME Radio. Uh, this is after a podcast broadcast comments about him, which were, according to the statement, damaging and untrue and based on rumours about Mr Gayford, says the statement, uh, that are baseless lies. NZME Radio apologised to Mr Gayford and accepts he has never been the subject of criminal charges in any court in New Zealand. So that gives you some indication of uh, what was said about him. This all happened on uh, a music podcast, oddly, um, so something called Kick Fresh Music Friday, uh, which I'm not all that familiar with, way back in late March, so not actually set out on the air. But forgive me if this sounds a little old, because this did happen on Thursday last week, but it was reported on on the day, uh, but surprisingly, it didn't generate a lot of um, coverage or comment since that statement came out last Thursday. Partly because NZME said, "Look, they wouldn't be saying anything further," and uh, Mr. Gayford's representatives, likewise. But look, these rumours have been circulating for such a long time; uh, they've been so persistent. They've been re- reported a lot, or the existence of them, by the media. So I thought there might be a bit of digging into just who is circulating and why they've been so persistent for so long, but there hasn't been a lot of it. Was this a a serious breach of standards, though? And would it have been a big payout? Possibly. Well, the payout, we don't know, because that was confidential, and that's often the case when settlements like this are reached. I mean, sometimes even cases that go to court, instances of defamation and so on, the awards, the damages aren't always known, which is kind of a pity, because you'd sort of like to be able to know just what the sliding scale of uh, of, of cost of these sorts of things is. But in actual fact, I'm I, without knowing precisely what was said on air and and in what way, because I just don't know, and that podcast has, of course, uh, been removed from the internet now, it wouldn't have had a very big audience. It's not a, a show that troubles the podcast charts, and uh, judging by its social media impact, where I think the rumours were also um, reproduced there uh, briefly, um, there's not a whole lot of uh, a following for that particular programme. So I guess it didn't have a wide audience, but it is the principle. This is clearly about absolutely drawing a line or holding a line that was um, that was set you know, four, four or five years ago when these rumours started cropping up that these are not to be uh, repeated in mainstream media outlets. This happened in March. Uh, that went through pretty quickly. So where would that have gone to? To like defamation court? Well, I, I guess if they if they'd wanted to actually take a court case about it. So obviously that hasn't happened because this apology's been made. But what we're guessing sort of happened without knowing the details is that. Uh, you know, whereas news media outlets would have got the message and been very wary of reporting anything to do with the content or nature of those rumours and the actual defamatory allegations, possibly on something that was a music podcast, not a news operation, that there just wasn't the same sort of editorial oversight. In fact, the blurb that NZME uh, put out when they announced the start of this project kick uh, says uh, it's the 2021 radio in- internship team, 720-somethings, graduates of the broadcasting school had designed and built it. Uh, The statement says uh, the audio interns are doing a lot. Uh, They'll have support from across the NZME business, but they've been given the reins to run the network the way they want. Well, if they've been given the reins to run the network the way they want, then they had it coming to them, didn't they? Well, well, possibly, but like I say, this has happened before with other things where there have been defamation awards and settlements out of court, news coverage of controversial issues or people about whom, uh, you know, being investigated for certain things, uh, you know, in the journalistic sense, 
the copies rigorously scrutinised and in the end it could be something like a satire column or something else that they publish which has an off-colour reference and the lawyers will tell the media company, you know, I'm sorry, but you know that, that does cast a slur over the person's character even if it looks like a bit of a joke or a casual reference. Yeah, you have to be wary of, of all these things. Mm. Interesting, you would hear that a uh, hundred times a day on Talkback Radio, those rumours, because it isn't the first time the existence of the rumours has made the news. And media had been warned, had they, to not repeat them? Oh, absolutely. In fact, back in 2018, this first became an issue because the media started asking about them because so many people had seen these circulated online. And the police commissioner, Mike Bush, at that time made a statement. This was to a TVNZ inquiry. He said, normally we don't respond to inquiries seeking to confirm if people are being investigated by us. But on this occasion, we're going to tell you, Mr Gayford you know, is not and has not been the subject of any police inquiry, not been charged with anything really unusual uh, for them to make a statement like that. But that's a measure of the fact that a lot of media were asking a lot of questions. And it kind of divided journalism a bit at the time. I can recall Andrea Vance, for example, writing an opinion piece saying, this is pretty sad, you know, saying us journalists have to follow up on this because everyone's talking about it. You know, we, we should be better than that. Uh, in fact, um, Linda Clark, formerly a TVNZ political editor, RNZ host, she knows how newsrooms work. She's now a lawyer. Her, her law firm sent uh, a lawyer's letter to newsrooms saying... Be on notice. These rumours are defamatory and untrue and people could be sued for publishing them. So people have commented on the existence of them in the media. Just recently, Paula Bennett, for example, former National Party deputy leader, hit out at this constant gossip that, as you say, you know, is being circulated all the time. And uh, a talkback host uh, recently told me uh, on on another network that... uh, Dozens and dozens of texts uh, come in a day and emails from people you know, urging them, the host, to tell the people the truth about these rumours about the Prime Minister and her partner. So, yeah, the media knew to stick clear of it, but, yeah, this, this incident happened uh, nonetheless. Has anyone else in the news media repeated the actual rumours before or perhaps even hinted at the content of them? Well, not, not that I'm aware of and certainly not come out and detail the nature of them because of those warnings back in 2018 and since. But the closest anyone got, as far as I know, apart from that kick podcast of NZMEs, which has now hit them in the pocket, was when Today FM uh, launched uh, the new talk station that replaced uh, Magic Talk. And Tova O'Brien on her Tova show and her co-host Mark Dye actually asked the Prime Minister about this. And Mark Dye even asked Jacinda Ardern about one of the less scurrilous rumours which kind of can be repeated uh, Tova and Jacinda Ardern were once flatmates and this explains uh, that, that Tova O'Brien might get easier on her in the media, this sort of thing and the Prime Minister just laughed that off but the same day uh, or in fact I think a couple of days later in fact they brought in a guy from uh, another media workstation, The Rock who did a parody song on air satirising and sending up the kind of paranoid uh, people that circulate these scurrilous rumours uh, they, they kind of obliquely referred and hinted to the nature of them but this is how the team reacted just after that song had completed Sweating, blushing, <laughs> laughing, crying all simultaneously We've addressed every single rumour that we've heard And can I say it's all a parody which means none of it's true Yeah, yeah. 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 And it also Allegedly. means you can't do us for defamation. Yay! Allegedly, yay. No, but, but I, do, I really do feel sorry for them, though, because some of the rumours floating around are ridiculous, and yes. it's always coming from the same people 
they're always the bluer than blue than in- blue. Interestingly, no, it's not. It's also coming from the it's the far left and the far. It's, uh, interestingly, the voice. Yeah, so it's not entirely true that you can just say that was a satire not to be taken seriously and not be sued. That isn't quite right. But in that song, they knew where the line was and they didn't uh, cross it. I think. But you know, you could be if if the the people doing that kick podcast had heard that, they might be thinking, well, so can you have a laugh at this? Did we cross a line if if we mentioned it? All depends on how they did it. But what I thought was really interesting there in that bit of audio was that um, Tovar O'Brien and Mark Dye started to talk about who it was that was spreading the rumours and, you know, the possible political affiliation of those people. They didn't elaborate on that, but I think that kind of is the real story if those rumours have been around for so long, you know, who's spreading them and why, and I thought there might have been a bit of investigation of that in the, in the media in the days after that uh, announcement from NZME about the settlement, but, uh, but there wasn't. I want to hear that song now from The Rock. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's get on to the new broadcasting minister. You've talked to him. He also gave a long interview to the spin-off this week, over an hour long. Was there anything interesting or new revealed in it? Well, yes, and some of it also related to this issue of misinformation spreading online and scurrilous rumours because Duncan Grieve, the uh, founder of the spin-off, uh, who did the interview on their podcast The Fold, uh, asked Willie Jackson about it, and uh, Willie Jackson said the social media platforms are getting a bit out of control. Those are his words. He said, you've got people disappearing down rabbit holes. He said, I've got relations. They hear something. Uh, they see something. They think it's the real deal. And, you know, he said he's quite worried about it. He said, I want to bring some balance to that. Later on, he said, I want to protect young people who can't work out what's real and what isn't. There are no rules around it. We have to be brave and courageous as governments to say these are the rules and the consequences. So interesting. I mean, nothing concrete there, but kind of expressing a willingness to actually, you know, crack down on this. Also, Willie Jackson went on to say he'd be meeting with uh, the big tech companies, the likes of Google and Facebook soon to address that. But also um, the broader issues around the media, their um, growing dominance of the media market. This is the background I come from. So I hear the small person, I've heard them, and, and if I hear NZME struggling to get a proper deal, National Radio struggling to get a, a, a better deal, then what chance for the small player? And I'll be asking those questions. RNZ National, Willie. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what comes from that. What about the issue of getting them to pay news outlets for their news that they profit from sharing? In Australia, the government forced them to make deals with the media. Yeah, and in fact, that that's what Willie Jackson's referring to there when he talks about RNZ not being able to cut a deal, NZME. Um, so the spin-off is one of several New Zealand media outlets that join together and want to, they got Commerce Commission approval to negotiate and bargain with Google and Meta to cut a deal that they could all share in, so not just the big outfits would be able to cut their own and get the lion's share, that sort of thing. So this is something the government hasn't so far moved on at all, but Willie Jackson there saying, you know, that he did actually support, at least, um, media companies trying to do this. And he also went on to say, um, I think you can only bring in legislation if they don't cut proper deals with the industry. So he's saying you save the kind of legislative hammer f- for that. But he said the reality is when they did decide to do legislation in Australia and signal that, bang, the deals came very quickly. So interesting that he's addressing this because, yes, previous ministers haven't really wanted to go there. Well, I think you got a name check as well, didn't you? 
Oh, in the spin-off interview? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, we did. Look, we did a Media Watch interview with the Minister um, recently and we didn't address some of those things that Duncan Grieve brought up about social media and and misinformation and so on. But I prefaced that whole interview with Willie Jackson with a kind of look back at his career so far, some of the organisations he's led, some of the battles he's had because, you know, previously he's been an advocate for Māori journalism and representation and resources for it. Um, there have been some controversies and some clashes when, as a broadcaster himself, and I wanted to give people a sense of you know what he'd done uh, over 30 years in broadcasting, you know, and uh, uh, until relatively recently, and you know now he's the minister um, overseeing you know Maori media as well as um, the new public media entity. It's a it's a huge brief, so I I made a kind of report that prefaced that before we got around to interview and as he told uh, Duncan Grieve on the spin-offs podcast The Fold um, he was a bit uh, disappointed with that approach. And the interview was okay, fine I suppose, everybody said the interview was fine, but he cut me up for seven or eight minutes before the interview and I thought gee that's disappointing you know, I didn't put a complaint in about it, he can do what he, people can say whatever they like but I just find that a bit dis- disappointing and he found different parts in my career like his whole thing is you're so confrontational blah, 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 but I'm an advocate for our people. I've been an advocate for Māori, I've been an advocate for working class people, not just Māori too, as a union official. So most of my working life is about challenging uh, the establishment, and so uh, he doesn't seem to get the, the hang of that. Isn't he just outlining the reasons why he's confrontational? Or do you think he's got a point? Oh, well, look, look, partly, but, I mean, yeah, he thought I'd painted him as really com- uh, confrontational in that kind of the, the report that prefaced the interview that we did, uh, where we canvassed some of that. And part of the reason I did it was when we talked about some of those issues from the past that are now relevant now that he's the minister, I wanted people to understand what it was we were talking about. So, you know, I thought I'd communicated what I wanted to do. I just feels a bit self-referential, doesn't it, all talking about this and the handling of a particular interview. But people who heard the spin-off thing might wonder why, what I was up to. Um, you know, he, he says he's disappointed because he wasn't expecting it that way. So, you know, I regret that. But, you know, for the record, you know, we did supply some questions in advance because of the things that we wanted to talk about. It referenced some of those, you know, controversies and things from the past that he's had to deal with, but not all of them specifically. So he felt clearly he didn't have a chance to give, you know, his side of some of those specific things we raised. You know, and I had felt that, you know, these were things that he had himself had mentioned in other interviews, um, even in one select committee hearing, for example, after getting the job, but before we did our interview. So I didn't know that we necessarily needed to litigate all the circumstances of those again and bringing them up in an interview. So, yeah, look, it, it is a shame. And we did say, look, you know, once I learned he was disappointed that if we mischaracterised any of the things that we'd mentioned in that report about his past career or so on or left out any important context, you know, then we could certainly, you know, correct that or you have a right of reply. So, you know, we haven't had to do that. Um, but look, as he said there, you know, and, and I genuinely appreciate it, he is very open to talking about anything and his willingness to come on and be interviewed and not set conditions is great and very welcome. So, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to do it um, in the future um, and not leave anyone uh, disappointed with the approach. Uh, next year, the Women's Football World Cup is being held here and in Australia. And this week, huge news in the UK in the Women's Euro 2022 broke records for both crowd and TV viewing and being held as a breakthrough moment for women's sport. I mean, in a sense, so, you know, it's a foreign country winning a sport that's not the biggest here, football, no big deal. And if it was like, you know, the Germans had won in Germany in the same way, we wouldn't hear so much about it. But it really was quite remarkable. So the biggest crowd 
uh, in the Wembley Stadium for any European final, men's or women's. And this is a, uh, the, a women's sport that's been starved of media coverage, and you know the, the British people have been starved of football success, which is one reason uh, for decades of underachieved, which is why they went quite so berserk. But there was also, you know, moments of genuine skill because for years people have said, look, unfortunately, it's just not that great a spectacle, women's football, when you're not as dynamic and so on as. The men's game, which sounds sexist when you say it like that, but even some in the game have said, look, you know, it, it is not the same spectacle. It is it is different. But in this, you know, you could clearly see the effects of professionalism and some of the skill. There was a particular moment, a backheeled goal, which has been showed a lot on the news in the, the semi-final at England. One really breathtaking moment, and that's been seen all over the world. And reading, a, um, there was a, an article in, I think, the Telegraph uh, British paper saying when the, the women's final was held in England in 1984 in the same tournament, hardly any spectators. England's women played Sweden's on a mud heap. And uh, the rules back then were that women had to play shorter games, just 40 minutes a half. And they used a, a junior-sized number four ball. <laughs> You know, kidding. no, no, that's absolutely true. And the pictures just I mean, such a contrast. You know, the women in that team, the older ones, the veterans in that England team, used to have to pay to play when they were younger. It's come that far, that fast. And got some bit of audio here. This is England's captain Leah Williamson, kind of referencing the kind of cultural importance of what happened in this post-game interview. It's hard to hear among all the bedlam of the final whistle, but but this is Leah Williamson. That's amazing. Millions watching around the world. Leah Williamson loves them all, but not here. Yeah, the Herald Tech writer Chris Keel um, noted that there was actually no legal way for Kiwis to watch uh, a match that smashed these records all around the world. Um, uh, Yeah, 19 million Britons watched it on BBC TV. Another 6 million streamed it. It's almost half the population watched a women's football match, which is truly remarkable. And the reason was that the tournament is organised by UEFA, which runs European football. They didn't do any kind of broadcast deal with New Zealand. So Chris Keel found it remarkable that something, you know, directly relevant to us, given the World Cup coming here, you couldn't watch it legally. But at the last minute, he worked out that UEFA live-streamed it on its own site. They've got their own operation, and because no one did a deal with New Zealand, you could actually watch it streaming in very high quality for free. That was um, good. Yeah. Very handy. But why would they give that away? Did You, have, you didn't have to do anything? No, you have to kind of register, but they don't, you don't have to pay anything or anything like that. And they're saying, look, we're not trying to compete with any TV networks because we want to make buckets of money by selling broadcast rights, and of course you understand that. Uh, but if there isn't, are no deals, we'll make it available and all sorts of other little content and snippets too because uh, you know we want to promote this around the world. Mm, last minute, it's a shame they didn't let everyone know. Well, um, Morning Report did in fact report on this when UEFA set it up, and it was only after the fact that I remembered it, after reading Chris Keel's thing. But the thing is, there's a flip side to this, which is, you have to watch it on their platform. UEFA cracked down on any other kind of video or content on all sorts of other platforms. So when I heard about that audacious backheeled goal that I mentioned before, I flipped onto YouTube to have a look at it to see what was, was all about. You couldn't find even the sort of scruffiest clip recorded off someone's telly. You know, they were that strong about it. And Chris Keel at the Herald noticed that there were these raucous clips of England players celebrating after the match is over, so not really breaching any rights. And the AI 
moderation of Facebook, you know, saw that it was UEFA broadcast content and stopped people sharing those clips, which were a great advert for, you know, the, the kind of uh, joy and fun of a tournament like this, which will be coming here in the World Cup next year. So kind of a bit of an own goal, pun intended, to, uh, to stop people sharing that sort of content.